when hmm. the Apostle Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and uh, has this blinding light um, you know, come before him, he doesn't say, Lord, who am I? Um, and in fact, it would be awkward or weird if he asked, who am I? The first question is, is who are you? Implicitly understanding if he figures out who this Jesus is, things for who he is and, and where he is in life will clear up. But even after we ask, um, who are you, Lord? I, the next question I would suggest is even better is, who are your people? Mm-hmm. Who are we corporately? And then finally, who am I? Jim, welcome onto the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's it's an honor. Yeah, I really appreciate you making this work. I know you work full time today, and so uh, thanks for yeah. for making this time after hours to join us. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, you and I have known each other for quite some time. Maybe as a starting point, tell our listening audience who might not be familiar with you and your family a little bit about yourself, where you're at these days, and what ministry looks like. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Um, so. Jim McKnight, and uh, I am husband to my wife, Rolinda, for 15 years. We have five children, uh, ages 13 down to five, four girls, and the youngest is a boy. So we persevered in that until we got a son, and uh, that was that was excellent. Um, our ministry is primarily to soldiers uh, in the Fort Moore, Georgia area, and all, all around the Army as uh, we've ministered to soldiers over the years. And probably our best contribution right now to um, kingdom work is reaching soldiers on active duty. And when they get out, helping them transition to become missionaries overseas to what people would consider harder countries like um, countries in South Asia, Southeast Asia, places like that. So that's kind of what we've been up to. And um, we love it. I've always thought, you know, my, my own background was with a military ministry, and I've always mm-hmm. thought of the military, the U.S. military in particular, as something akin to the city of Jerusalem on the day of mm-hmm. Pentecost, where you had mm-hmm. people from, from many different regions and even different parts of the world all being gathered together into one location, and then getting exposed to the good news, the gospel about Jesus, um, becoming filled with his spirit. And then if you look at the book of Acts, there was a real training environment, uh, an intense community there with the mm-hmm. early church in the mm-hmm. city of Jerusalem. But mm-hmm. it was really birthed out of people from not just the city of Jerusalem, but from all over the the Mediterranean world at that time. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you see in Acts 8 that there is a great persecution and what we might look at initially as a negative thing, this this persecution against God's people and against the Christians there in Jerusalem actually results in them being scattered and them being sent out all over the Roman world and beyond to to be missionaries, to, to carry this good news and to share it with others. And I, I think that's similar to what you are doing, even though yeah. you're in Georgia, Alabama, working with yep. primarily a military community, your vision mm-hmm. is much bigger than that. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And you, you, at some point you figure out, I have to live somewhere. Uh, as, as even if I want to have a very mobile ministry, uh, you know, with a, a wife and small children, we have to live somewhere. So we try to live in places that are crossroads of the world, like uh, Fort Moore and, and Columbus, Georgia. It's interesting you mentioned that Acts 8 where they're scattered um, because of persecution. And, and Acts 1.8 is a famous verse that uh, we all like to memorize but uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so there, Jesus is giving the commission to take the gospel to all nations. But by Acts 8, they really hadn't done it. And so in No Place Left Army work and other No Place Left work, we like to say, if you don't do Acts 8.1, uh, if you don't do Acts 1.8, you might end up doing Acts 8.1 and getting <laughs> scattered um, uh, on your own. So we try to take advantage of the fact that the U.S. military moves people around. And uh, a lot of people would bemoan that, like, oh, man, I raised people up and they're gone. But we see it as a great thing and, and we enjoy it. And um, we're going to keep doing it. It's a real training ministry. And it's, it's very much focused on being faithful to the Lord Jesus, but also to the mission that mm -hmm. he's called us to, which is mm -hmm. to not only walk with him, but then to help others walk with him to the ends of the earth. And so mm -hmm. the whole idea of no place left is, is really in step with that vision that Jesus gave yeah. us back in, in Matthew 28. There are mm -hmm. many things we could talk about. <laughs> yeah, um, so many. <laughs> but we are going to talk about the importance of identity when it comes to our lives as followers of Jesus. And you had made a statement uh, recently. You said that knowing our identity in Christ is not enough. And so right. let me just ask you to expound on that. Why is that sure. true? You know, most people would say that, hey, if you know your identity in Christ, that's that's what you need. But why is knowing your identity in Christ not enough? Yeah, no, thanks for the question. And hopefully the listeners out there haven't already uh, hung up uh, <laughs> at that statement because it is a little provocative. And um, so, yeah, thanks for letting me unpack it a little bit. I might explain it by saying, hey, um, to know that you are a son of God or that you are in Christ is really important for your formation. But if you don't know who Christ is, or who God the Father is, um, but you're in them, it's still going to be pretty difficult for you to figure out what it means to be um, in Christ or to be a son of God uh, until you get to know them better. And so I think sometimes we offer people, hey, you're in Christ, you're a son of God, you're in the kingdom, um, but they don't know who that king is that rules that kingdom and they can get a little bit, um, a little bit off track or, or it can come away kind of unsatisfying for the new person that doesn't really know who this God is that they're signing up to walk with. Yeah, I, I one of the one of the beliefs that I've um, come to over the years of following Jesus and helping others follow him is this simple statement that who Jesus is defines who we are. Yeah. And I think perhaps what you're what you're alluding to is that we tend to approach that maybe from the other direction that we right. try to discover who we are maybe before we really know who Jesus is or um, maybe simultaneously to discovering who Jesus is. We almost disconnect these two. Like we're trying to figure out our identity in Christ while mm -hmm. also discovering who Jesus is. And the, what I've come to understand is that if you understand who Jesus is, that will really shape and inform 
your understanding of who you're called to be as someone who belongs yeah. to him. And it, I think it naturally follows, if this is who Jesus is and I'm following him, it's a lot easier to figure out who I am. Trying to go the other way is not as easy. As easy. <laughs> and I like, I like what you said. Um, uh, you said trying to figure out who we are. And I, I think there's a distinction. First, you want to ask the question, um, who are you, Lord? When hmm. the Apostle Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and uh, has this blinding light um, you know, come before him, he doesn't say, Lord, who am I? Um, and in fact, it would be awkward or weird if he asked, who am I? The first question is, is who are you? Implicitly understanding if he figures out who this Jesus is, things for who he is and, and where he is in life will clear up. But even after we ask, um, who are you, Lord? I, the next question I would suggest is even better is, who are your people? Who are we corporately? And then finally, who am I? Now, as Americans, that's hard for us because we are uh, pretty individualistic. Um, but it will make a whole lot more sense to us personally to understand who um, we are if we understand who the, the people of God are and who the church is. And so as we teach identity in Christ, we try to go in that order. Who is Jesus? Who are his people? And then who am I? Yeah, I love that you take us to that passage with the Apostle Paul when he's mm -hmm. confronted with Jesus. And I love that. I, I think that's so true that, you know, he asks the maybe the the obvious question, but also the best question that right. that he could ask, which is, mm -hmm. who are you, Lord? Um, and we can really trace this back even further to. I think to the ministry of Jesus, and maybe we can we can get to that. Uh, even Jesus yeah. himself, being rooted in his identity. Yeah. Yes, Jesus was he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And and having his identity affirmed, this happens multiple times throughout right. the Gospels, where you can see a voice coming from heaven. Um, at least three different occasions, right? So there's there's the first occasion when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, as he comes up out of the water. Right. Um, the spirit descends like a dove upon him and a voice comes from heaven saying, affirming his identity. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then, of course, a little bit later when he is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James and John. Um, he's also there with Moses and Elijah. And this voice comes again from heaven affirming this is my son. Listen to him. And then finally, in John's gospel, we see a, a third occurrence where the voice from heaven comes and mm. affirms that this is my son. And, and it says that the people who the people heard it, they, they thought it was thunder. <laughs> so we don't know exactly <laughs> how this sounded, but multiple yeah. times, God the Father is affirming to Jesus his identity, both at the, the beginning and perhaps you could say at the high point, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, and then mm -hmm. just prior to his death on the cross. So you could say maybe the low point of his life and work, or, you know, humanly speaking, just before his death, this voice affirms again the identity of Jesus as, as I think foundational for his understanding, but also our understanding and the work that he was doing. Yeah. You know, do, do you yeah. have any thoughts on on the importance of Jesus himself, like his identity being rooted? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, 
Really important that we see that, uh, who Jesus is. He gets his own identity rooted. And I always think about the Luke passage where he comes up out of the water, um, as that is really for Jesus. Um, hmm. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Whereas on the Mount of Transfiguration, we hear the statement, this is my son. That's for Jesus also. But then when he says, listen to him, that's for the apostles who are there listening. Like, okay, so they are actually beginning to get grafted into Christ at this point and understanding who Jesus is first and now who you are. You are one who should listen to him. And so I mm. like the progression there. And then, of course, when the voice um, you know, comes from heaven, everyone can hear that, whether it's thunder or not. And it seems even more for the sake of um, others understanding who Christ is. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I hope people won't walk away and saying who I am in Christ isn't important. It is important. It's just not enough by itself. Yeah, there really is a, a sequence. In fact, if you think about the gospel, um, I think that this is uh, this is just front and center. Like if you think about what it means to to hear and then embrace the gospel, it's really to, to understand, to come to a recognition of who Jesus is and then respond appropriately to that. Right. So looking at the book of Acts and Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, we already kind of referenced this before, but yeah. the, the there's this amazing work of power where people are speaking in languages that they should not normally know. And right. And these other um, religious um, pilgrims who have come to Jerusalem for the feast, they begin to recognize and they begin to hear the, the, the works of God declared in their native languages. And they know that this is, this is unusual. So they start paying attention. Mm -hmm. Peter uses this opportunity to share the message about Jesus, the good news about Jesus, for the first time to a large crowd. Um, several thousand folks heard Peter give this this good news this presentation of the good news and at the culmination of it in acts chapter 2 verse 36 the the finale that peter ends with is that all the house of israel should know for certain that god has made uh jesus, jesus. both lord and christ this jesus whom you crucified and so mm -hmm. the the call at the end of that good good news was focused on jesus and and that the people all the people would know who exactly Jesus is, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. So it was all rooted in the identity of Jesus. And then, of course, the people, it says they were they were cut to the heart. And then their their natural response was, brothers, what shall we do? And right. so there you see the importance of recognizing who Jesus truly is, but then also responding to it. And and if we don't start there, then trying to discover our identity is, is going to be a, an effort in futility. Yeah, I can't think about how many times this, this walked out practically for me when I would begin um, trying to disciple a new disciple. And I'd say, you know, it's um, really important to get the Word of God in their life, um, to begin to read the Word. And they would be like, man, I'm just not that interested in that. And as I began to peel back the onion, I'd find out that there was a foundational misunderstanding about Christ as the Lord of their life. At some point, yeah. they had been interested in, yeah, I'd like Christ, uh, I'd like this Jesus to be the Messiah or the Christ. 
I'm not sure I'd like him to be the Lord. And I think if we're honest, we're pretty open to the idea of Jesus being our Savior, saving us from our sins, which is really important. But we chafe a little bit more into the idea that he should be our God, our Lord. And if that understanding of who he is isn't in place, as I try to teach you to share the gospel or read your Bible or commit to being as part of the church, all of those things are foreign ideas. And um, there'll be something short-circuited in the foundation understanding of who Jesus is and who I am and how I respond. I am to repent and be baptized, every one of you not stay as I am. That's the appropriate response to, an appropriate response to who he is. Right. Um, you know, you mentioned the apostle Paul, that this was mm-hmm. at the heart of his identity being transformed. And, and later yeah. he would write to the early believers about how they were, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things mm-hmm. have become new. And then later in Philippians, he talks about how he had this, he had this, um, highly developed identity um, as an Israelite, as a Pharisee, as a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin, as a keeper of the law. And, and he had worked for years and years to develop and live out of this identity pre-Christ. And he goes on to say that all of that he considered to be rubbish or, or worthless once he discovered who Jesus was there in Acts chapter 9 Mm-hmm. And then received from Jesus this this new identity. Now, you also mentioned the Apostle Peter and how this mm-hmm. was formative in his life and faith. So maybe yeah. share a little bit more about the Apostle Peter. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, um, you know, Peter, when, he, when Peter writes 1 Peter, we get the Peter who has been refined for decades mm-hmm. of walking with Jesus, not the impulsive guy who said, you know, no, you'll never be crucified. So we kind of get him on the backside of that. Hmm. When Peter's writing to, First Peter is probably one of the most, um, I think it is, the most widely circulated, the audience is as broad as any letter uh, in the New Testament. It's written to all of, Asia, all of Asia Minor, basically. And they are very persecuted people at the time. And so he is trying to impart to them to understand their identity as a means to motivate them to keep walking with Jesus in spite of being the minority people who are under persecution by the Roman government. And so in 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. So we're beginning with Jesus coming to the living stone. And well, who is he? Well, Frankly, he was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. And then Peter goes into, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a priesthood. Again, collective terms. You are being built into a people uh, so that you can offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And then Peter goes into these um, citations from the Old Testament. See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to you who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So if we understand a part of who Jesus is first, he was rejected by men, but chosen and precious by God in the same way. 
Mm-hmm. And we are being called into that same building to be built into living stones who will be rejected by people, but chosen by God and precious to him. And that's supposed to give me the confidence, if that's who Jesus is, when I am rejected and persecuted, I can still do verse 9 and 10 to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises. And that word declare, I looked it up in the Greek, it means declare. It means we are supposed to announce um, who he is to the rest of the world. And if I don't know who he is, that he's been rejected Mm. by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight, it'll be hard for me to understand that I'm a priest and that my appropriate response is to declare him, even if it's not a popular message. So I think Peter really helps us in chapter two, verses four through 10 to get this in perspective. I love that. We're supposed to reflect and bear witness to Jesus. So what you're saying makes a lot of sense that if we're not Mm -hmm. grounded in him, if we don't have clarity on his identity, who he is, then not only will, will we not truly understand who we're called to be, but we won't do a very good job of representing him, declaring him, witnessing for him, you know, Acts chapter one, verse eight, going back to that verse that you referenced Mm -hmm. earlier, you know, Jesus said that his first followers would be his witnesses. That that was really the mission as he, as he phrased it there in Acts chapter one, they were going to go out Mm -hmm. to Judea, Samaria. They were going to go beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, doing what? Being witnesses of Jesus. So I, I think what I hear you say is that we have to start with Jesus, have clarity around who he is. And we actually mm-hmm. just uh, a few weeks back, we had an episode with Shelton Markham on the hard sayings of Jesus. Ah. And we looked at John chapter six, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Mm-hmm. But before we dove into that particular teaching of Jesus, we highlighted how there's this gap between our concept of Jesus in in our modern minds, who we think he is. And then you begin studying the scriptures and there's this, there's this gap between who we think Jesus is and the Jesus we actually find right in the scriptures and especially in the new Testament. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if we don't have clarity around that, it's going to be very difficult for us to have clarity around our own identity and purpose. Yeah, and all of us come into the kingdom with some, even if you were raised in a Christian home or in the church, you come into the kingdom with some frankly wrong ideas about who Jesus is. And, and I, you know, you and I sitting here, we probably have some wrong or incomplete ideas about who Jesus is. And so we have to be open um, to continually be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12 too. And I, I just practically, I think we're talking some practical things here. This is why it's so critical to get into the scripture for yourself because you're trying to figure out, you're not just trying to become smarter, you're trying to understand for yourself who is this Jesus and who is this who is uh, this God um, and how do they interact together um, to understand who you are. That is uh, foundational to, to beginning as a disciple of Jesus. Um, to let your let will you let your mind be changed mm. about who you think Jesus is? And Jesus, we see him asking this of his first disciples. So yeah. Matthew 16, just prior to the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus gives this, he has this inquiry of his disciples. And it's really in two parts. He he starts off by asking them, who do people 
say that I am. Right. And of course, they begin to report back all the things that they've heard the crowds <laughs> saying about Jesus, most of which were very positive, complimentary things, but inaccurate. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, so then Jesus asks the, the money question, which is, well, who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And that's where Peter makes his great confession of you are the Christ, the son of God. And so, uh, and Jesus affirms it like, hey, blessed are you because flesh and blood. But if you think about the, the timing of this, Jesus calls his disciples, he spends months with them, uh, perhaps even over a year, maybe two years before he asks this question of who do you say that I am? And yeah. the disciples were in a unique position to answer that question with accuracy because sure. they had this they had this insider access to Jesus. They, they heard his teachings, they heard his teachings explained, they, they watched his life. They were studying Jesus up close and personal. And right. what you just shared is so critical that if we're not in the scriptures, if we don't go to where Jesus is revealed, then we're going to have ideas about Jesus. We're gonna be like those crowds where we may have very complimentary uh, ideas and um, understandings of who Jesus is, but we're not going to know who he truly is because that is something that flesh and blood cannot reveal to you that, that only the yeah. father in heaven can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And um, a lot of us make some of our first observations about who Jesus is in the scriptures, even before we trust him as the Lord and the Christ that he is. And so a, a fantastic way uh, for, that most of us have been doing evangelism is can I just get my lost friends or curious friends to read a chapter in the scriptures with me? And um, there's a study that came out maybe oh, 10 years ago or so now by Lifeway where they asked you know people a series of questions and one of them was, hey, um, would you go to church with a friend if they invited you? And about one third of the people said yes. But then there was another question that said, would you read the Bible with a friend if they asked you to do that? And about two thirds said yes to that. So we've got to realize we're working in a culture now that for them to discover Jesus, it's less likely that you're gonna be able to get them into a headlock to bring them into your local <laughs> church to listen to the message. It's, it's gonna be a lot less threatening to them and they're gonna be a lot more open to, for you to be the messenger as opposed to you bringing them to the messenger right there in their living room or your living room or your barracks room or your dorm room and crack the Bible and let's discover who Jesus is together. It's a lot safer idea for our lost friends these days. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. He himself sure. came from heaven to earth to, to live among us, to, mm -hmm. to make that step towards us and then to reveal the father to us. Yeah. That's how he trained the disciples was to spend yeah. time with them and to give them access to, to his person and to mm -hmm. his teachings. And that's what he sent them to do, to, to go and make disciples and to, to be his witnesses in this expanding um, uh, sphere of influence from Jerusalem yeah. outwards. Um, and yeah. so that, that's always been the model is, is to take is to take Jesus to our friends, family, right. co-workers. And of course, if they're willing to come with us to our gatherings as, as Christian sure. believers, that's, that's great. We want to expose them to the community of, uh, sure. of saints, but we don't have to wait for that. We can, right. we can start with the relationship we already have. Yeah. I like um, John chapter one, 
Jesus is passing by and John the Baptist calls out, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And a couple of disciples follow Jesus and he turns around and says, what do you guys want? And Peter and the other disciple following him, they ask this really important theological question. There is the Lamb of God who takes away <laughs> the sin of the world and they can ask him anything that they want. And they say, Master, where are you staying? And that's where a lot of our friends are as they come to Jesus. They have a question that's just that basic, like, mm. where are you staying? And Jesus does not say, that's all you got, guys. He says, <laughs> come and see. And so, you know, that's the initial invite into discipleship for these gentlemen. It's not right away, John 6, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He brings them to that point over time. We can do the same. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that we need to allow our identity, our sense of who we are to be shaped not only in response to who Jesus is, but in the context of community. Yeah. And so another thing that I try to emphasize with those that I'm discipling and anytime I have a chance to influence is that when it comes to discipleship and being a disciple, we don't start with Jesus and move on to other things or, or deeper yeah, things. Right. And I think so, so often in the church today that we're looking for the next shiny thing to focus on and to emphasize. But what we do is we start with Jesus and then we move on to a deeper relationship and understanding of who he is and a, and a deeper yeah. walk with him. And that's what we're trying to help other people do too. So I've got a study that we'll link in the show notes here on the podcast, yeah. or if you're on YouTube watching this, they'll be in the video description below. But it's a quick study on this question of who is Jesus and how that can begin to shape and clarify your own identity. But let me just give a teaser here, Jim, and, and let yeah. you respond. So Jesus is a shepherd. You know, you, you talked earlier about, uh, or, or actually we can start there. Let's start with John the Baptist, you know, behold the lamb of God. Okay, that's who right. Jesus is. This is an insight into who Jesus is. He, is. he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, what does that teach me? Um, I'm someone who has sin, who who needs a sacrifice to, mm -hmm. to make payment for that. Okay, Jesus mm -hmm. himself said that he is the good shepherd. Um, well, what does that mean for me? Well, that means that I am a sheep. I'm someone who needs to be found by the shepherd and who also needs to learn how to follow him in the context of a flock, which kind of yeah. touches on what you were saying earlier about yeah. understanding our identity in the context of the body of Christ and not just having right. this me and Jesus limitation to, to our faith. And you can carry this, you can just keep going with it, man. Like Jesus right. is Lord, okay? I am a servant. So this is what we mean by trying to understand and, and allow your identity to be shaped in response to who Jesus is, that you don't have to go out and find your identity. If yeah. you can focus on Jesus and then allow him to shape your identity in response, that, that's yeah. really what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think the way you explained it, it just kind of makes the point for us. If I see accurately who Jesus is, who I am just kind of falls out on the page, obviously. Yes. <laughs> right? If he is the good shepherd, I'm a sheep. Uh, and so on. If he is the Lord, I am his servant. And so uh, anyone who's you know thinking about this out there, like, hey, who, who am I in Christ? Um, you, you know, if you think in your subconscious that Jesus is um, cool, 
or unfair, that's really going to significantly shape um, mm. how you see him and how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't, uh, don't believe that about him. He's not cruel or unfair. He loves you. Hmm. You made a, another statement as we, you and I talked about this, this conversation mm-hmm. and, and this podcast, you know, we, we had a, a conversation, but we also were just creating some show notes together um, mm-hmm. online. And, and you made this statement that I want to ask you to expound on. Yeah. You said you are just as likely to obey your way into your new identity as you are to think your way into your new identity. Yeah. So yeah. what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's another one that I might get stoned for after this. because, <laughs> and, and I think in post-Reformation... Christianity, we are very allergic to the idea of earning our salvation. Um, And we should be. The Bible is very clear about that. You will not earn um, your salvation. But the Bible does not say, and therefore also don't make make sure you don't do anything to obey because that Mm. could be earning. Like that's not the Bible's teaching. So here's an example of something that Jesus says. He said, it's in John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus actually asks them to hold to or obey his teachings first and then greater revelation and and their, their being set free will come after that. And so if you think, if you're teaching or you think that if I can just get these people to fully grasp their identity in Christ, um, theoretically or, or in, their, in their mind, and that's my only approach, that they will um, walk with him better, your, mm-hmm. your model for how people get discipled is incomplete. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I would say my experiences where I stepped out in faith to obey Jesus, even though I was pretty uncertain or a little bit afraid or timid, were as just as, tr- just as transformational mm-hmm. for me to understand who I am as when I had like mental understanding of who he is. And that's the way Jesus uh, disciples the 12 as well. He says, come Mm. follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But the invitation to follow is up front. So there's this simultaneous learning who he is and responding. Not like I learn who he is a whole bunch and then someday I'm going to respond. And so that's God. So you're just as likely to, to the punchline there, you're just as likely to obey your way into a better understanding of who you are as you are to think your way into it. I love it, man. And I think this, you're right. I think for us as modern day Western Christians, this is something that we've been so influenced by the Reformation, which itself was a reaction to right. maybe it was kind of, you, you could say that some of what we're dealing with now is, is perhaps an overcorrection yeah. that the reformers sought to bring to the church with this emphasis on salvation by grace through faith alone. Mm-hmm. And this push against the idea of legalism and that there was anything that we could do to earn our salvation. But right. when we say we've, we've swung too far, the pendulum has swung too far. It's that we've lost this, this action based dynamic to to faith and that yeah. faith is 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 this this ongoing interaction between between revelation uh which oftentimes is information that we receive right, and action that we're taking one way that i've often thought about this jim is that if you're standing still let's j- just picture that you are on this this country lane beautiful it's it's lined with trees 
and somewhere off beyond those trees is, let's say it's a windmill. I'm just making this up as I go. But mm -hmm. let's say that you're, someone has, has told you that you, you need to find and study that windmill. And so you're on this lane and from your current position on that lane, you can't, you can't see the windmill because there's, there are trees that are blocking your view. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that in a similar way that when it comes to following Jesus and trying to learn more about who he is and, and come to a truer understanding of his person and his work, if we're not moving forward, if we're not following him based on what we, where we currently are, then, then we never get to a place where that perspective opens up and we begin to discover mm -hmm. something new about Jesus. Think, think about the disciples when they, they saw Jesus feed the 5,000. And, uh, and then Jesus, of course, he sends them away. He tells them to get into the boat and cross the lake, but he stays back. So they start crossing the lake. A big storm comes up and they're, they're struggling. And Jesus walks on the water and joins them in the boat. And um, they think it's a ghost. And <laughs> they, it, so, so Jesus um, speaks a word and calms the storm. And mm. when the disciples see that he, that Jesus has this power over the weather, over this, over the storm, they ask the question that we've been focusing on, which is who is this, that, is that this, even yeah. the wind and the waves obey him. And, and I think it's in Luke's gospel. He makes the statement that, um, that their hearts had been hardened and they didn't understand the lesson of the loaves. So they had had this experience with Jesus. They had seen him do this amazing thing where he fed, you know, 5,000 people from a very limited amount of bread and fish, but it didn't click. It didn't register. They didn't get that revelation right. until later in the, the same day when they see him walking on water and the wind and waves. So it's kind of that idea of Jesus could have told them, Hey, I've got the power to multiply bread and fish and I can calm the waves, but until they see it. And, and sometimes even when they see it, it doesn't quite click of who Jesus mm -hmm. is. I know I'm being long winded right now, but that's, that's what we're saying is that if you're not actively following Jesus, you're not going to get these insights and these, that's these right. revelations about who mm -hmm. he is. And frankly, Jesus promises that in John 14, 21, a, a famous verse the Navigator had us memorize very early. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. And here it is, show myself to him. And so uh, greater hmm. revelation comes when we are obeying what we already know to be true. Uh, and often that greater revelation is about who he is and who I am. Um, right. Our identities. Yeah. So, and I so just want to say this. for the listeners, uh, yeah, the listeners out there, Andrew is, uh, it's a, it is a joy to interact with you because of the time you have spent staring at Jesus in the scriptures and um, just talking about here it is in the gospels. And so he's modeling for us what it looks like to really stare hard at Jesus. And so I hope you catch that if you're out there listening to this, because it's a really great example and just fun to talk to you because of the interaction, brother. Well, I, we want to push, we want to push against this because again, in the West, our, our modern concept of how you're really going to yep. get to know Jesus is just to, to stick your nose in the book and just read and read and study or go to seminary and learn different languages. And, and Jim, you've yeah. done that. You've, you've yeah. learned those languages, you've gone to seminary. So, um, it's not that we are anti, uh, that yeah, kind I of love academic, it. Great experience. 
Yeah. Right. But what we're saying is that that will never get you there. there there's this interplay between actively following Jesus, like you mentioned there in John 14, where Jesus taught mm -hmm. that, that we have to obey the commands if he's going to reveal himself the way that, that we want him to. So let's, let's leave folks with some practical guidance because this is yeah. all well and good that, you know, we need to know Jesus before we can truly understand ourselves and our purpose. What are some ways that you would recommend that people can begin to, to pursue this type of relationship and understanding of Jesus? Yeah, no, it's such a, such an important question. And I think we've kind of hinted at some of these along the way. I mean, <clears throat> the first one is, um, you got to get into the scripture because he is most clearly, I think I can say that I, the, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church are revealing Jesus to us. Um, but I think he is going to be most clearly and most maybe maybe better to say most reliably revealed to you in the scripture um, with the help of the Holy Spirit. So uh, get, you know, get in the Bible and read it. And even as you're reading the Old Testament, ask yourself, what does this have to do with Jesus? Approach your Bible from a, a Christocentric view. Um, I would say uh, you're going, we also suggested read your Bible with your friends and then introduce them to this person of Jesus, which is hmm. a really great way to help them to come to trust him as both Lord and Christ. Um, and I, we also I throw this last one out there. As, you, as you're declaring the gospel, just kind of presenting it, um, we've got a real simple tool called the Two Kingdoms, which essentially is designed to kind of plow up Western cultural Christianity. And I mean, the punchline mm. to the, the illustration is, who would you say is running your life? Are you running your life? Or is Jesus running your life? And that kind of helps them figure out if they are a disciple, if they're really truly a Christian. And um, that can be a great service to your friends who may think, oh, yeah, Jesus is my co-pilot or he's my homeboy or, you know, he's a, you know, I, I check in with him for advice every now and then, but he certainly is not the Lord of my life. And so their understanding of who Jesus is is dysfunctional and you can help them come to a truer understanding of who he is. So there's three off the top of my head, but I want to hear any practical, <laughs> maybe I stole them all, but do you have any practical uh, thoughts on how to? Uh, understand who he is before knowing who we are. I know you mentioned the two kingdoms. Jim, is there mm -hmm. a short YouTube video or is there some sort of resource where people could check that yeah, out? Yeah, I've got a one minute uh, kind of presentation of that um, on YouTube. I'll send you the link after this. Maybe we can put it in the notes there and, and uh, I will. you can share it, share it with your friends. Hope it blesses you. Yeah, well, well, to recap, we're going to have tons of resources for you guys in the show notes here. So the two kingdoms will be one of those things that you can check out. Another yeah. one is this quick study that I referenced earlier of just who yeah. is Jesus. And like Jim said, ultimately, you want to develop this filter or this lens that no matter what book of the Bible you're reading, of course, you want to understand the original context and the original audience. But then as a as a follow-on step of studying and seeking to understand that passage, you want to, you want to put it back to Jesus. Well, what does this teach me about Jesus and his person and his plans? This, this study on who is Jesus is a starting place for that. It's designed to take about an, an hour. Um, but again, it's a free resource that we'll provide in the show notes. Uh, who is yeah. Jesus? You, you also talked about learning to follow Jesus with 
a community, a local yeah, fellowship of yeah, believers, yeah. a church. I think a this church. is another one, Jim, that we, we get so wrong in the West is that we, we have this notion that, that me and Jesus is enough. Right. And I, I just want to encourage our listeners and viewers that that is a broken view of what it means to follow Jesus. Again, Jesus is the good shepherd um, and he is gathering a people. And if you think about how sheep follow a shepherd, part of following the shepherd is learning how to be in the flock and to be connected with fellow sheep. Right. Another huge analogy in the New Testament is that Jesus that the church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and all of us are connected, yes, to him, but also to one another. And right. you really can't be part of Jesus and what he's doing outside of the church. So learning how to uh, to follow him together. The last thing I would say, Jim, and you, you touched on this, um, I think, but I, I would just want to maybe push it a little further. Mm -hmm. I've seen this and I'd love to hear you. I, I got a feeling you could you could affirm this is that when you are sharing Jesus yeah. with others. Mm -hmm. um, so many times as I'm sharing Jesus, it's like a light bulb is going off in my head. It's the weirdest thing where I'm, I'm sharing Jesus with someone else. And sometimes it's because they're asking questions that are good questions because they're trying to make sense of who Jesus is. And in that moment, I don't know if this is related to the passage where Jesus talks about how don't worry what you will answer that the Holy Spirit will give you. But mm -hmm. so often as I'm as I'm trying to share Jesus, um, someone will ask a question that perhaps I've never thought through or I don't have a good answer for. Mm -hmm. And it'll come to me like some sort of insight, some sort yeah. of a, a deeper understanding in my own life. And it's almost like, of course, I, I hope it's helpful for them, but I get so much joy out of that, that little insight that came from bearing witness to Jesus, mm. to someone else. It, it, you know, it's almost a bonus if they hear it and receive it That's because right. of, <laughs> of, of what's happened in my own life. So yeah. I think this is something else about discovering who Jesus is, is when you, you know, when you struggle to articulate and share him with others, that's actually, I think, one of the most um, neglected paths to discovering who Jesus truly is. Yeah, I, I can't thump that idea loud enough. I'm really glad you shared that. And I think that's part of, if you hold to my teachings, which is to share me with others, to declare my praises, First Peter 2, 9. If you hold to my teachings, John 8, 31, then you'll, you know, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I'm getting greater revelation as I obey and share him with others. Um, a friend of mine working overseas among an unreached people group said, I, I'm probably not the best evangelist to these people. I don't speak their language well. I don't know them that well. The people I equip who are local here to go share, they are far better at it than I am, but I keep doing it so hmm. that I can stay encouraged. And I heard that and I thought, good night, that going out to share the gospel doesn't encourage me. That's the scariest thing ever. <laughs> or just even sharing at work with my friends or whatever. But the more I thought about it and the more I've practiced talking, I couldn't agree with him more. Part of yeah. sharing, it is one of my great joys to share with him. Sure, it's a little, it could, I, I might be rejected, but he was rejected. He was the cornerstone who was rejected by the builders. And so I'm getting a greater understanding of who he is. Mm. So yeah, talk to your friends about Jesus. Um, it will, it will inform you about who he is and who you are really powerfully. 
<laughs> and it's really what what really happens is if you get these three things going yeah. simultaneously, so that day in and day out, you're in the scriptures, particularly with an with an eye for Jesus and and mm-hmm. trying to better learn his person and his his purpose. You're also actively involved in a local community of believers where you're encouraging one another, challenging one another to follow Jesus. And then you're actively trying to share your faith. And I hope people will take that to heart that we need to share our faith before we have the full understanding of Jesus. I know it sounds counterintuitive. You know, we're, we're responsible to bear witness for what we know. Yeah. And as we do that, in an amazing display of, of God's goodness, he, he actually is revealing more of who he is to us. So Amen. you get those things Amen. all going together and um, you'll get a much clearer picture of Jesus. Jim, I really appreciate you coming on. I know we've got a hard out here at the top yep. of the hour, but I hope, it's in, yeah. I hope it's encouraging to the people who have listened. We'll definitely have to have you on again in the future. I know you've got some other resources that I'm going to put in the show notes if people want to sure. learn more about you and your ministry, the Seed Sower app. We'll put a link yeah. in there. But yeah, any last thoughts from you as we, we wrap up? Yeah, uh, feel free to reach out to me there on, uh, on our website. There's a link. Uh, I'd love to hear from you if this was good. I'd love to be back on. Uh, I think it blessed me uh, far more than it blessed anyone else. So thank you very much for having me. That's how it works, brother. Well, we loved, we loved having you on and learning from your wisdom, Jim. We'll do it again soon.